So Genesis chapter 3, it's pretty amazing how and all of society, all that's good, all that's evil, all that's within God's word is basically covered within the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Basically everything is covered, family, society, God, where did good come from, where did bad come from, how do we get here, marriage, who says marriage is what. Everything that we see on a daily basis, we can attribute it to these first three chapters within the book of Genesis. One of the key things to remember, and hopefully this has been drilled into your minds, right? Is who is the boss, right? Who's the boss of our lives? Who's the boss of God's word? And is he truly the boss of our lives? Is he the boss of this world? Is he the boss of everything we do, everything we believe? Because that's going to affect how we live where we're going to live for all of eternity, and it's going to affect our homes, our families, and everything. But let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Chapter 1, it talks about creation and the broad spectrum. Chapter 2, it focuses on Adam, Eve, and the Garden of Eden. But chapter 1, verse 31, it reads, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening... And there is morning, the sixth day. So this is where we come to now. God, He's made everything. He's created the entire planet. He's created the world, the universe that we know. And He's made it perfect. He's made it without blemish, without wrinkle, without a single problem. He then places the first man and the first woman in the middle of a garden He created, a garden He made. A garden in his infinite wisdom that is surrounded by four different rivers. So no worries for irrigation or anything like that. And Adam's only job, the only thing Adam had to worry about was cultivating the garden, guarding the garden, and naming all the animals. Along with guarding Eve and cultivating Eve. And Eve's only job was to be Adam's helper, right? Seems easy enough. Seems simple enough, right? Can't really mess this up. It's pretty easy. But as we humans always do, we mess things up. We break things down. We break relationships. We break bank accounts. We break cars. We break marriages. We mess up everything. Whether it's cookie jars or vases with roses, whatever it is, we break things. We mess up things. And we're going to see here, even in a perfect world, Adam and Eve still sin. And they still mess up. But in verse 1, chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. You can write down Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, The great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So this serpent, right, it's not just a random snake, random boa constrictor or cobra or tree snake. This is Satan himself getting inside of this serpent, something that's completely different than what we are accustomed to today because of the fall. I don't know how many of you ladies would sit down and have a nice conversation with a snake, right? I don't know how many ladies are into that sort of thing. Say, you should see my husband. No, 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 don't say that, right? Um, but how many ladies would entertain those sorts of things? In Isaiah chapter 14... Verse 13 through 14, this is how Satan falls and mess angels of light to even pose or possess serpents or even pigs like we see in Luke chapter 8 verse 33. And we should notice a couple of things about Satan. It's good to know your enemy's tactics. It's good to know what your enemy's trying to do, right? If you're going to win a game or win war or win... And anything, it's always good to be one or two or three moves ahead of your opponent. And Satan, he doesn't come to us as a little red demon with some horns and a pitchfork and says, Hey Zach, you should go and try to do this, right? I think each of us, we'd pass that test with flying colors. But he gets us with things we desire in our flesh, right? He gets us with the brownies, with the ice cream, with the chocolate chip cookies, right? He gets us with the beautiful woman or the strong man. He gets us with the more money or more vacation or more laziness and relaxation. That's what the enemy attacks us with. And that's how he tempts us, right? I've yet to hear anyone say, man, Zach, you got to get that kale out of the house. You're going to cause me to stumble and I'm going to eat that whole bag, right? You're going to make me eat that whole bag of kale if 
you leave that thing hanging around here. Right? So far in our pastor's meeting, George Vega hasn't had to say, man, somebody called and they said, that 80-year-old lady in Spanish ministry, I can't hang around her, man. She's causing me to stumble. I see her and she's making me stumble, right? That's not what goes on in our hearts and minds. But it's things that we desire. It's things that we lust after. And now we begin a dialogue like Eve does with Satan to say, man, is it really that bad? Does God really say what he means and mean what he says? And we're going to look into how the enemy tempts and really how Eve succumbs to the devil. But we continue in verse 1. It says, And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The first thing that the devil does to Eve and also to us is get us to question God's word or to twist God's word. We know this is not what God had told Adam. But even before we get there, right, we would hope that Eve would see this serpent, this thing talking to her. And right away she would say, okay, Mr. Serpent, you have a question for me? Let me go get my husband. He's been around here longer than I have. Or you have a question for what God said? Hey, let me bring God into the equation. And why don't you ask him yourself? But what does Eve do? What do we do in our own pride? We try to deal with the temptation, mano a mano, one on one. And we think in our own strength and pride, we can do it. Because I'm just entertaining it. I'm not touching it. It's not going to hurt. I'm not going to actually do it. I'm only going to have one drink or one puff or whatever you may tell yourself. And when we enter into this dialogue, you are in dangerous territory. Instead, Eve, she begins this dialogue. And now she doesn't even stand on the word of God. But she begins to doubt it. And she falls into her own lusts. In verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So now Eve, she's adding and taking away from the commandment of God. Now we don't know. We don't know if Adam didn't really sit down with her and express the importance of not touching this tree. We don't know if she's already been here. She's been staring at this tree. Man, is it really that bad? What does my husband know anyways, right? What does Adam know anyways? It can't really be that bad. It's just a piece of fruit. We don't know what's going on. But we do know in Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17, God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Again, God has said you can eat from every single solitary tree that I have put in the garden. Except for one. And now what is Satan getting Eve to begin to question is why this one tree, right? This is so bad. Instead of us focusing on all the freedoms that the Lord gives us, we focus on the things that God tells us we can't have. And isn't that the same of our lives? Isn't that the same of our kids' lives, right? The truth of our children's lives. I have a seventh-month-old. I think he just turned eight months. That kid will eat everything except what you ask him to eat, right? He'll play with everything he's not supposed to play with except the boxes and boxes of child-age-appropriate toys that have been purchased just for him, right? And that's how we are. And then we take away the iPhone cord that he's gnawing on, and he gets so mad at us, right? He gets so mad, he gets so hurt, he starts crying, and you bring in the whole box of toys, and you say, here, here's like $200 worth of baby toys right here, grab one. And he doesn't want any of them. He goes and he crawls back to the iPhone cable, or the shoe, or the rock, or anything and anything he can find. And we need to be careful when we do that. When instead of seeing God's word as a protection and guardrails and the best way to live, we now see God's word as something that is keeping me from reaching my full potential. We see God's word as something that is quenching me or keeping away freedoms that I deserve. Again, the Lord, he gave them so much freedom, but what she's focusing in on is the one tree she cannot eat. And family, remember... Whenever we go against God's word, it will kill us. 
Whenever we go against God's word, it will kill us, right? The family dynamic within America and within our world, it is a mess. It wasn't yesterday that it became a mess, but it's been decades ago where men weren't being men, dads were leaving the home, kids were being raised by just a mom, and it has turned into this mess where now family is defined as something absurd, right? Or even Sesame Street will define a family as two dads or two moms or whatever right, concoction they think about. Our confusion with gender, how have we gotten to this point? And it has all started with just fornication, just sex outside of marriage. We began to play with that. We began to play with Playboy magazines or pornography and things like that. We said, okay, this is okay or this is wholesome. This isn't that bad or this is cool. And now we are at the point where doesn't matter the gender, doesn't matter the age pretty soon, doesn't matter the species pretty soon. Anything and everything goes. But let's look at the book of Proverbs. It has a couple things to remind us about God's word. Proverbs, let's look at chapter 7. Proverbs 7 verses 1 through 3. It tells us, my son or my daughter, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live and my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Whenever we focus in on the things God does not allow us to do and we begin to think that they are oppressing us, we begin to question, does he really love me? Would he, why would he not allow me to do these things? We get into a lot of trouble. But how do we see God's word? Do I truly see God's word as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Or do I see it as something that is unfair, something that is religious and hard and rigid and just not cool? Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, we're going to jump around here. You can write them down or if you're quick, you can turn with me. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, it tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction right how do you deal with instruction when somebody tells you hey you're wrong right right away what would you say right if somebody says you're wrong you're messed up you failed how do we deal with that can we deal with instruction proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding proverbs chapter 10 verse 27 the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And it's important, the fear of the Lord it's talking about is not a trembling or a fear that God's going to strike me down with lightning or consume me with fire or open up the earth and swallow me whole. What it's speaking about here is a respect or a reverence, right? How men, they used to go to the one-day father-in-law and ask for the lady's hand in marriage. Why? Out of respect. That's all it was, was out of respect, out of courtesy. And if we have that respect and courtesy to the Lord and all that He's done for us and is shown evident in our lives, it will protect us. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, it reads, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 19 verse 23. It tells us the fear of the Lord leads to life. So that one may sleep satisfied. And untouched by evil. There's so many themes within these verses. That our world is starving for right. If you tell someone hey I can help you live longer. You're going to have their ear right away. You can at least have an infomercial right away right. Man this is going to help you live longer. You want more confidence? You need more confidence in your job, in your work ethic, right? You look in the mirror and you think you're just a wimp. You want more confidence, right? Those are things that we hear, but our confidence should come from the Lord. A fountain of life, you have that? Yes, it's found in the fear of the Lord. And now if you tell people, hey, do you want to avoid death, right? Do you want to stay away from dying, do you want to stay away from pain and misery? Man, sign me up. Where do I get that? It's all found in respecting the Lord. It's all found in reverencing God's word and saying, hey, whatever God's word says, that is what I'm going to do. 
And now when we look at God's word like that, it will protect us. It will protect us from pain and agony and more harm. That's what God's word does. But when we look at it as an old archaic book or something that men made to rule over weaker people or people with health crisis, now we're entering into dangerous territory. Proverbs 22 verse 4, it tells us the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches honor and life right we should have a conference right and the riches honor and life conference everybody will be there but how do we gain these things is by having a respect for the lord and having a humility that when somebody says hey you're wrong you messed up yeah man you're right i'm not above that i'm not above sinning i'm not above making mistakes and i apologize and i'm going to do all that's within my power and strength to not let you down again that's what humility looks like let's turn to proverbs Chapter 1, such an important chapter for us. And it should show the difference between us, if you're here and you say you're a Christian, or if you say you're going to heaven, and the rest of the world. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, right, the thing that brings him joy, the thing that he looks forward to at the end of the day, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. And what a promise we have in God and in his word. A family, and I'm convicted by this. When was the last time I read God's word alone? Just me and the Lord, right? When was the last time you brought your Bible to church? When was the last time you wrote notes in church? Do you really strive for this? Do you really want this, right? We research the things we want and desire, whether it's fantasy football, whether it's how to do your hair, whether it's how to save more money, whether it's how to have a 401k or how to get around the IRS, whatever you want, you can research and you take notes. Do we research and take notes from God's word? Or do we come here every day, right, like a zombie? We just sort of walk in and sit down. And then somebody tells us to get up and we just walk out and get out. And we say, Lord, why is nothing changing in my life? I walked into the gym. I sat on the bench and did nothing. But man, nothing is changing. I look the same. What's wrong? You go to the gym owner, you say, I want my money back, right? This isn't working. What are you doing? What input, what strength, what time are we giving the Lord? Finally, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it tells us, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. You want to be a wise man or woman? It is not enough just to hear God's word is not enough just to come to church. We need to hear, we need to come, and we need to obey. We need to apply it. And it's only when we apply it that we will be that wise man or that wise woman that can withstand the trials and storms of this life. And if I would sit here and ask, man, how many of you believe that the word of God is infallible? I think most of us would believe that, right? Most Christians say, yes, man, God's word is a thousand percent true. There's no error. There's no mistake. There's nothing wrong with it. But yet, when it comes to sin, I don't live in that belief, right? When it says, if you do this, you will die, I don't believe that. When it says, I should love my wife as Christ loves the church, I don't really act on that. When it says, you should be holy as I am holy, I sort of leave that one out there. When it tells me that I should be in this world but not of it, I don't really believe that one. And we need to check our hearts. I need to check my heart and say, Lord, are you convicting me of this? And now what can I do to answer the call to action that you are giving to me? I say your word is infallible, but does my life show it? Does my life demonstrate that I believe every word that this book says? And I will hinge my life on it. But we go back to Genesis chapter 3. Eve, she enters into this dialogue with Satan. Not a good idea. Then she answers him with not the right words, not exactly what God said. She didn't rest on Adam. She didn't rest on the Lord. She didn't rest on God's word. And now in verse 4, good, the bad, and the ugly, so we can learn from it. But family, are we questioning the consequences for our actions? Am I saying it's not really that bad? 
If I hang out with that person, it's not that bad. And Zach, why are you being so religious? If I listen to that music or those movies, it doesn't affect me that much. If I go out with them, it's just one drink. It's just one puff. It's just one look. It's just one night. When we downplay the consequences of sin, we are entering right the danger zone. It's a dangerous place to be when we're questioning the consequences of sin. When we see that dirty joke's not that bad, it's actually pretty funny. Man, I cuss. Everybody cusses. I hurt my toe. Don't I deserve that? Right? When we question the consequences, we are in danger. And then we can begin to even question, man, does hell even exist? Nobody's seen hell. Has anyone even seen hell? Does hell exist? Right? Has anyone seen God? Does he really exist? Would a good God allow evil and pain and trials in this world? You're all wrong. Good men, they go to heaven. There's an eternal balance of scales. And whoever is good enough, they make it into heaven. We give ourselves a lot of lies, but God's word stands forever. And it stands the test of time. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. So now, Satan gets Eve to question the goodness of God. And is God even that good? Does God really love you? Right? Would he let you go through this trial or this pain if he loved you? Is that what your perfect dad does? He lets you go through these trials and through this pain. And when we question the goodness of God, again, we are in a bad, bad position. And Satan... He's not an idiot. He knows the best way to lie. It's when there's some truth within the statement. And yes, their eyes would be opened. Their eyes would be open to fear for the very first time. Their eyes would be open to shame for the very first time. Their eyes would be open to pain. They would finally, for the first time ever, taste what separation from God tastes like and feels like. And we need to be careful of that. The world sells us the same lies. Man, you got to feel this. you got to do this. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so awesome. But it doesn't tell you that, man, you're going to be addicted to this. Or it's going to ruin your family. It's going to ruin your friends. You're going to lose your job because of it. You're going to feel awkward at church because of it. You're not going to be able to be at family events because of it. The enemy, he sells us half the truth. And we need to be aware. That's why when we look at God's word and hey, God says this, that, or the third man, I need to be obedient to it. Even if I feel like I'm getting away with it. And sometimes we think, man, I've been getting away with it for a long time, Zach. I think God's sort of cool with this, right? I think God is okay that I've been lying behind this person's back for years. They don't even know it, right? We need to be so careful with that. Donald Barnhouse, he says, Satan and the flesh will present a thousand reasons to show how good it would be to disobey his commands. Satan and our flesh will present a thousand reasons to show how good it would be to disobey his commands. David Guzik, he says, Satan wants us to see sin as something good that a bad God doesn't want us to have. His main lie to us is sin is not that bad and God is not that good. Sin is not that bad, man. Sex outside of marriage, everybody's doing it. Homosexuality, are you kidding me? What age are you living in, right? What's wrong with you? Why are you holding on to these old archaic things? Your kids respect you, right? Your kids say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. Your kids actually obey you and don't roll your eyes. What kind of a world are you living in? This is a sick and sad lie that we as Christians have fallen into. Sin is not that bad, and God is not that good. Again, in biblical times, if a kid was disrespectful to the parents... They would stone them to death, right? There wasn't too many disobedient kids. If someone had sex outside of marriage, they would stone them to death, right? Not that many fornicators hanging around. But in this age of grace, as Paul warned us, man, in this grace, should we have let sin abound even more? Certainly not. I hope not. I hope the grace of God, it compels us to want to live even more pure, to live even more holy. That if you sinned against your wife or your parents, or your husband, you don't just turn around and now use the grace and say, I can cheat on them all I want. They don't even care. I can lie to my dad and mom all they want. They don't even care. No, that grace, it should burn in our hearts, and we should say, with all that I can, and with all that the Lord has given me, I will never do this again. That's what grace is supposed to do. That's what mercy is supposed to do. 
Right? When you extend grace and mercy, is that not what you want? When you tell someone, hey man, it's okay, I forgive you, let's turn the page. How do you want them to treat you? Oh man, I can walk over this guy. This guy's a doormat. Is that how you want them to treat you? No. You want them to turn around and now for them to become your most loyal confidant, right? Your most loyal friend because you've forgiven them when they don't deserve it. And that's what the Lord has done for us, family. He has forgiven us when we did not deserve it. He came and he died and he resurrected while we were still sinners. He's the one that has done the work. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good. Again, it's a fruit. When the tree is good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. My first question is, what in the world is Eve doing so close to that tree, right? Why is she so close to that tree that she's looking at it? That she's saying, man, that thing kind of looks good. And man, the, the serpent guy, he looks pretty nice. He sounds pretty nice. It's going to be good. It looks good. It, I think it's going to taste good. And it's desirable. It's going to make me even smarter. It's going to make me like God. Why was she even close to that thing? As a little kid, I thought, and I'm going to be honest, I still think it's a pretty great idea. If I was Adam... I'd have created the world's first machete. I would have cut that thing down and we would have been good. We would have been perfect even until now, right? But the sin and the what if, it always irks our flesh. It always irks our flesh. The other day, Mike was painting and he had wet paint, don't touch signs, right? So what's the first thought that comes to my mind? How dry is that paint really, right? <laughs> Can I really touch that, right? The ushers or the kids ministry workers, hey, can you please go out this door? Do I really have to go out that door, right? Why can't I go out that other door? Come on, come on, let me in. Even as a kid, my brother loved Coca-Cola, so I loved Pepsi, right? Whatever he says, I'm going to go the opposite way. My brother liked blue, my sister liked purple, so I'm going to like red, right? I'm going to go opposite of whatever the people around me are doing. And when we do this, we're just like everybody else. We're just like everybody else. There's so many men and women in this room. And as young people, man, we deal with it, or they really deal with it, that we get obsessed with being different. But we end up being just like everyone else. Because everybody else, they're trying to be different. Everybody else is trying to be loud and sinful and act like, man, they are truly going to change the world. But few people, do they rely on the Lord? And do they change the world by their purity and by their passion for the Lord? As we've seen, that's what has changed the world time and time again. It's been revivals that have changed the world for good and not for evil. And may we have those same things within us. I've been listening to different special forces, officers and soldiers just talk about things in life. I was listening to this Army Green Beret and he says, all the little decisions we make lead up to those situations where we are going to live or whether we're going to die. All the little decisions that we make. Man, Zach, isn't that a bit dramatic, you know? What he's talking about is for the soldier, for the police officer, what have they been eating the last week? How have they been eating the last month? Have they been working out? Have they been training? Have they been getting lazy? And then they're faced with that one life or death situation. And depending on their training and the grace of God or their partner's training, they live or they die. But believers, it's the same thing for us in trials and temptation. When was the last time we read our word? When was the last time we came to church? When was the last time that we were in love with the Lord? When was the last time we confessed our sin? When was the last time we cried and wept saying, Lord, why do you love me? Why do you forgive me? When was the last time we were in sin? When was the last time we were lying to people? And then temptation comes and we're faced with that decision. Will I choose life or will I choose death? And the Lord, He always gives us a way out. But it's a lot easier to choose that way out when you've been working out and eating spiritual food. And being about our Father's business. But when we've been lazy, when we've been feeding our flesh, when we've been in sin, we're just going to continue to fall and roll into bad decision and death and death and death. And then it's, man, what happened to my marriage? What happened to my kids? How did I get here? And it's just these small decisions that we make. But in 1 John chapter 2, let's turn there real quick. This is how Satan tempts us. This is how he tempted Eve. This is how he tempted Jesus Christ. And this is how he tempts us. And in the war that we're in, it's always good to know our enemy's tactics. So 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 15, it tells us, Do not love the world, nor the things in this world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is that there's no room for it. If you're just in love with this world and the glitz and the glam and all the power of this world, if you're in love with that and obsessed with that, you're going to have no room in your heart to love God and to care for Him because our home is not here. This is not our permanent residence. This is just a drop in the bucket of all of eternity. But we get so focused with the hotel and not with true home. Verse 16, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from this world. And the world is passing away. And also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And this is how the enemy gets us. This is how he got Eve. She saw that it was good for food. It was going to be good for her flesh. It was going to make her feel good. It was going to make her body feel good. It was a delight to the eyes. Man, it looked so good. And finally, it was desirable to make one wise, to make one like God. And family, this is how God tempts us. Be careful when we're making decisions based on, man, this is going to feel good. This is going to feel so good, man. If I just, I'm in this argument and all I'm thinking about is the thing that's going to feel good is if I throw every single knife out, right? And I just tell them everything that's in me, all this, all this pain, all this weight, I'm just going to throw it all up on them and I'm going to feel so good, right? And then you do it and you like feel good for like 10 seconds, right? And then what happens? The avalanche comes the other way, right? And you're like, oh man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? George, Barbara, where are you guys, right? And now it's just a world of pain and problems, right? Or, man, just, I, I just need that brownie and that ice cream, right? It's going to make me feel so good. It's going to taste so good. That thing even looks good. And then we're lactose intolerant. Oh, why did I do that? It looks so good. It was going to feel so good. Why did I do that? Honey, help me. No, you're on your own, right? You know you shouldn't have eaten that. You know you shouldn't have eaten that. Or our pride, right? I'm going to do this or that because I'm the better person. I'm the bigger person. I'm the more intellectual person. So I'm going to let them know how much better of a Christian I am than them. I serve in three ministries, right? They don't serve anywhere. So I'm a bigger Christian than they are. And that's the pride of life. And we need to be so careful with these things. And the enemy uses the same devices. And we need to be so aware that we're putting on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Robert Jameson, he tells us, The history of every temptation and of every sin is the same. There's the outward object of attraction. Then there's the inward commotion of mind. Right? We begin to think about it. We begin to struggle with it. Then there's the increase and triumph of a passionate desire. And I want this. I'm lusting for this. And finally, it ends in degradation, slavery, and a ruin of the soul. That's what sin always leads up to. Every time we sin, every time we let someone have it, every time we sleep with someone or we're in pornography, every time we sin against God, it leads to more slavery. It ruins our souls. It leads to more shame. It leads to more fear. And it leads to this sense where we think, man, everybody knows what's going on around my life. And that's what sin leads us to. But freedom in Christ, it leads to more freedom. In James chapter 1, verse 13, if you're still in 1 John, man, it's just a couple books to the left. James chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us, it warns us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own Lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If you're quick, you can turn there with me. Let's see if we actually finish the chapter this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, a warning to us, an exhortation to us, a promise to us. Verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Now no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, family, both Adam and Eve, they had a way out of this. Eve could have ran away. She could have gotten God. She could have gotten Adam. Adam, he could have said, honey, God is the one that made me and created me, so I got to stick with him. I can't just eat this thing and go down this road with you. But they failed. She decided to go at it alone. He decided to go along with it with her. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us, It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, what happened here? Everything was perfect. They didn't have to worry. We don't see any kids yet. They didn't have to worry about school or education. They didn't have to worry about that crazy boss that they had to deal with or the bad traffic. They didn't have to worry about health problems or stress. What in the world happens here? And I don't know. I don't know if Adam didn't give Eve all the details of God's command. Did he really sit her down and say, Honey, this is of the most important thing. We cannot touch that thing. I'm going to cut down that thing. I'm going to get all the elephants. Hey, you guys hang around here because I don't even want to look at that tree, right? Why don't you guys knock it down for me? We don't see any of that. Did Eve become an idol in Adam and now he began to love her more than he loved God himself? We need to be so careful from that. In our flesh, we create this own order, you know, God, family, job, and then everything else. But we don't see such an order in God's word or in scripture. We see God. And then everything else. That's what we see. God and then everything else. And hopefully if you're here, you hope that your spouse loves the Lord more than they love you. And hopefully you love the Lord more than you love your spouse. My son, he asked me a tough question the other day, but I had to tell him the truth. He asked me, Dad, do you love me more than Mama? And so you guys go, oh, so man, you're going to call child services on me. But I told him, I said, no, Baba, I love Mama more than I love you. And right away, he's, why you don't love me? I said, no, I love you. But when you get older, you're going to find your own mama, right? You're going to find your own mama, and you're going to love her, and you're going to be with her, and then you're not going to be around anymore. And then mama's the one that's going to be with me. So family, do we love the Lord more than our spouse? Do we love the Lord more than our kids? Do we love the Lord, and do we love in God's order and in God's ordination? We need to be so careful that we don't allow our past or our history to decide the actions that we will live, but we allow God to decide the actions that we will take. Why would Adam willfully disobey his perfect creator? He made everything perfect. He made Eve out of his own side. He gave him everything and only had one thing he could not do. But they fell. Verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. You can write down Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2, and Matthew 17, verse 2. In Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2, it says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, it says, His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. I always crack up in the kids' Bibles or in the kids' books because Adam and Eve, they always find like the perfect trees to like cover them perfectly, right? In every single kid's book. But what I do believe in listening to different teachers and scholars is that Adam and Eve were clothed with the righteousness of God, which is demonstrated in white. We know that when we get to heaven, that's what we're clothed with, the righteousness of God. Even now, it's not our own righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's the righteousness of God. How we need to put on Christ daily. We need to pick up our cross and carry it daily. So Adam and Eve, I do, I believe they were clothed with the righteousness of God. But now when they sinned, they broke it. And now this righteousness is gone. And now they feel the shame and they can tell the difference immediately. So now they go on to choose fig leaves. And when man covers themselves to appeal to God, this is religion. This is religion and this is pride. Whenever we try to say, Lord, I'm sinful and I'm bad at my core, but hey, I went to church. But Lord, I'm not that bad. I gave extra money to church. Lord, I'm not that bad. I served here or I did this many. Our fathers or I served and I did this. When we try to make ourselves not that bad, that's religion. And religion always fails. But when men and women accept Jesus Christ and Him alone, 
and the work that he's done as the covering of our sins. And glory be to God in the New Testament, our taking away of our sins, this is Christianity. And this is a true relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that hides and washes away our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ and true repentance. It's not me being here in church once a week or seven times a week. It is me living a real and true relationship with Christ, confessing my sin when I mess up. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 28. If you're looking for a new refrigerator verse or mirror verse or car verse, this is the one for us, guys. Proverbs 28 verse 13. Again, a warning, a promise of God, this inherent word with no mistake, no wrinkle. It tells us, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. This is the only way we find compassion. This is the only way we can overcome our sins is when we are obedient to God's word and to what God's word says. And even Adam and Eve, they weren't proud of their sin they messed up. They picked fig leaves. It's interesting. Fig leaves, they have a prickly quality, so they're like itchy, right? Putting it on bad places in our body to be putting itchy leaves. Um, fig leaves, they also have a sap, which causes irritation, redness, and rashes, right? This is not a good move by either of them. They were not proud of their sin or of their nakedness, and they tried to hide it. But man's best attempt at hiding sin, it leads to discomfort it leads to irritation and it leads to redness and rashes right that's man's effort to hide sin but when we're real when we're obedient to god's word and we confess to him we confess to the people that we've hurt because we try to pretend like i'm at this alone right i'm a lone ranger i'm a, a silent assassin for christ alone with nobody else right it's a lie every single choice and decision i make it affects my family it affects you guys. It affects my neighbor. It affects everyone. And now when I sin, depending who I have sinned, I should go and apologize to them. And now I should do everything in my power to never, ever, ever do that again. All through the power of Christ. All begging the Lord and His Holy Spirit to fill me and use me and strengthen me to never do it again. Right? When somebody hurts you, what do you expect? You demand an apology. Your boss is a jerk to you at work. What do you want in your heart? I want an apology. And I want them to never do that again. But now when I mess up, right, sweep that under the rug, right? It's only between me and God, right? Don't worry about it. We don't need to talk about it. It's between God and me alone. But that won't work in a marriage, right? If a spouse cheats on another spouse, they can't simply say, hey, this is between me and God, right? I don't think that marriage should last much longer if that's the attitude that they go in. Right? Honey, how did you spend $100,000? Hey, that's between me and the Lord, honey. Don't you worry about it, right? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against the bank account, the kids, the mortgage, the car payment. But honey, that's between me and the Lord only. Right? That relationship would not work. It would break and it would crumble. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? I love this scripture and it hurts so bad at the same point. You see, we hear, they hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And I don't think it was fee, five, fo, fum, right? I don't think I thought of like Godzilla, right? And you see everything shaking, right? And then a big shriek and fire, right? And that's God coming. Where are you guys? I don't see that at all. He comes in the cool of the day. This is at the end of the evening. This, I mean, this is early evening at the end of the day. Again, notice that he's, he's walking. He's not running. He's not stomping. He's not chasing. He's not searching. And I believe this was their thing. I believe that at the end of each day, they would take time to get together. And after cultivating the garden and naming some animals, they would sit down with God and they would fellowship with him and with one another. But something was off this time. Instead of looking forward to this time of meeting with one another, now there was a sense of fear of the Lord for the first time. Not a respect, but a fear that they have done wrong and what's going to happen. Instead of being fulfilled by this relationship they had with God, now they were filled with shame. 
And each time we sin, it affects us. It affects our family. It affects the way we walk into church. We think everybody's seen it. Everybody knows it. And we try to hide it from everyone. We even think we can hide it from God, right? Adam and Eve, I love camouflage, but there was no fig tree camouflage, right? There's no fig tree ghillie suit that guy's like, hey, where are these guys? Oh, that's some great camouflage you got there, right? That's not what was going on. In Psalm 139, verse 1 and verse 7, I challenge you, read that when you go home. David says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, behold, you are there. And family, when we sin or when we're living righteously, there's nowhere we can hide from God. Verse 9, then the Lord called to man and he said, where are you? Again, did God lose track of them? Were they somehow hidden from this all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God? Is the Lord all of a sudden become Batman and he's trying to interrogate them? Where are you, right? And he's infuriated, filled with anger. I don't think that. I think this is a question from a broken father for Adam and Eve. A question for them to look at themselves and their situation to begin some introspection. To begin to look inside their lives and say, man, where am I? How did I get here? What was the series of little decisions and little choices that got me in this place where now I have picked death? And I've seen death in a relationship. I've seen death in a marriage. I've seen death in my job. What did it take to get here? And now you're going to notice all of God's questions are directed to Adam at first. It's not until you know, Adam has just completely lost his mind that now he turns to Eve. And we need to remember Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. That's man's responsibility. Men, this is our responsibility for our homes, for our families, for our spouses. Adam's responsibility was to improve and develop his wife, his home, his garden, his job. That was his job. Adam's responsibility was to protect and defend his garden, his home, his wife, his family. And in this battered world we live in, man, single mom, single dads, grandparents, if you're raising the kids, this is our call. This is our responsibility is to improve and develop the people around us for the Lord and for God's kingdom. It's to protect and defend the, our people around us and our home from sin and temptation and from so much evil. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul, he tells the church of Corinth, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of church. So men, do we have our heads screwed on right? Do we have our heads screwed on right? Did Adam properly warn and explain to Eve the commandments and the blessing of God? Men, are we able to explain to our wives and to our kids why you need to respect your parents? Are we able to explain to our wives, this is why we can't do this. This is why we need to stop going to this place. This is why we need to break off this friendship. This is why we need to cut the cable. This is why we're blocking their phones. Men, are we able to explain these things or in our pride do we simply always say, because I said so? And there's a time to say, because I said so, right? When a kid is about to hit an intersection, it's not time to sit down. All right, son, you weigh 50 pounds. That car weighs two tons at this speed. No, it's not the time to tell him anything. It's the time to grab him and say, you do what I tell you to do. But later on, are you able to explain what God's word says to your spouse, to your family? And man, if you're here and you're single or you're a widow, are you able to explain that to your neighbor, to your parents, to anyone, to your coworkers? Did Adam do all that he could to protect Eve and his home from the temptations of this tree? Or was he just tired and lazy from a long day at work? Husbands, right? Single moms, grandparents, is this how we live? Did Adam stand up to the serpent when he found out Satan was tempting and attacking his home? Husbands, when we see our kids or our wives, our family in sin, do we do anything? Or we just stand by and say, man, Satan, have them. Eat them up. Take them alive. Or do we stand for righteousness within our homes? Did Adam stand for God and righteousness even when his own wife tempted him to break the commandments of God? Husbands, can you lovingly 
Keyword is lovingly. Tell your wife, hey, this is what we got to do. As for me and my house, this is what we got to do. My love, I know you're hurt. I know you're broken. I know this is what's going on. But we have to stand on God's side. Verse 10, Adam, now he answers. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself, and now God says, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman, right, strike one, who you gave me, strike two and three, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, right, man, this guy doesn't get it. Eve, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And family, Adam, he gives a whole lot of explanation, but it's all based on emotion and it's all based on passing the blame. First to Eve and then to God. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're quick, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. What a warning, what a promise, what a great command from God towards us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Family. We need to be honest with ourselves and we need to be honest with those who trust us enough to share their personal highs and lows. We need to make our decisions with the proper view of God, the proper view of ourselves, the proper view of sin, and it's all found in a proper view of His Word. We need to stop helping ourselves and others pass the blame of our own sin and disobedience. It's only when we call things for what they are that we're left and faced with a decision to change and grow. To not live in fear and lies, but overcome in the power of God. And we live in a world where everybody passes the blame. Nobody's done it, right? The Republicans blame the Democrats. The Democrats, they blame the Republicans. Politicians blame Trump. Trump blames the politicians, right? Millennials blame the older generation. The older generation blames the millennials, right? Everybody blames each other. But when was the last time you saw someone say, hey, I messed up. I fell short, I apologize, I was wrong, and now I promise I'm going to do all I can through God and His Word to never do this again. And parents, we got to be careful with our kids. They are not good. They're not good. Just like us, man, they are little monsters, right? Just like me, I am a little monster. And if I'm left to myself and my own flesh and my own choices, I will destroy everything that God has given me. And it's only when I see who I am in a proper view, I am a sinner saved by grace. That is the only way I can go about this world and be the best and godly dad and husband and pastor I can be. But if I tell myself, hey, I'm not that bad, or these sins that I'm doing, they're not really sins. It's because of this. It's because of this hang-up. It's because I went to war. It's because this happened to me when I was a kid. It's because I have this mental problem. It's because I have a hook for a hand. It's because I can't drive my car straight. When we push the blame on everything except I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we will not grow. We won't grow. We'll be stuck in the same broken wheel. And sooner or later, we will get bitter with God and say, God, why am I still here? Why am I still here? And it's until we look in the mirror and say, man, it's my fault. It's my responsibility. It's not because of this, that, or the third. And it's important. My past experiences and my past letdown, there's no doubt. They will affect the way I see the world around me. It will affect how I interact with this world. However, the power of Jesus Christ is stronger than my history and my hang-ups. 
Am I going to allow my past define everything I am and everything that my future is faced with? Or am I allowing myself and the Lord to move past this in the power of Christ, allowing Him and His Word to define everything I am and to define my future? Family, I hope today we make that decision. I am no longer going to be, man, I went through this or I went through that. My kids went through this. And parents, a guilt can ruin our parenthood. Guilt can ruin our relationships. And now we just have one instance that happened. However terrible it may be, rule and give it way more power than it should have. Right? Were there not messed up people in the Bible? Right? Did God not use messed up people? And were they not able to overcome? I was listening to Joe Foge, man. He's so, I see, so awesome. You look at Joseph. He has like three moms in the house. His mom dies giving birth to his little brother. He has 10 older brothers that they all hate him. They want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. They sell him into slavery. And yet he's able to stand with the Lord. And he says, I want to do this sin to my God. I can't. I can't do this sin to my God. You have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their whole nation is destroyed. Their parents are probably murdered right in front of them. They're then taken and castrated and put into the king's throne room. And they're able to say, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to stand for my Lord. So may we not allow so much excuses to rule and reign in our lives. Because we're overcomers, guys. We're overcomers. We get tired of living in fear and living in shame and living without any power. And it's because we give all the power to sin. We give all the power to this broken world that is just a hotel that we're going to leave one day, right? Just like Billy told us, perhaps today. Maybe it's the day that I'm going home. Maybe it's the day that we're all going home. And what will I be faced with? What will be on my tombstone? How will my family remember me? An old man that was just defined by his past? Or they look at me as a true child of God, as a servant of the Lord? Verse 14, Genesis 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You see, God, he first curses the serpent. He doesn't begin a dialogue with Satan. We know in Job he gives Satan a little bit of time, but he doesn't jump into a dialogue here with Satan. And this serpent that Eve dealt with, again, is completely different than what we see as a result of the fall. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. If you want to learn a big word today, right? This verse is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. Luther said of this verse that this text embraces and comprehends within itself every noble and glorious thing that is to be found anywhere in Scripture. This is where we find the whole gospel. This is where we find everything good, everything bad, and everything ugly in this world. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make the payment, the propitiation for the sins of the people, for my sins. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And guys, this is us. This is Jesus Christ. His heel was bruised. He died for us, but he crushed the head of Satan. He crushed his power. He crushed the power of fear. He crushed the power of sin. He crushed the power of death. So now are we living in that power? Not in a name it and claim it, but are we living in the power of Christ? That I am a broken, sinful man, 
But the grace of God saves me and it cleanses me and I will do all I can as a faithful son, as a faithful servant to live holy and righteous before my God. And I love my wife. I love my kids enough to help them to do the same thing. Is that you here today? Or you say, I'm sick of being owned by this world, sick of being owned by fear and past failures and I want to live for all that the Lord has for me. I want to live it all out for the Lord. I don't care what my family says. I don't care what my kids say. I don't care what my friends or my coworkers say. I'm going to live it all out for the Lord because has he not given me enough? 